Hey, we are taking the fall, and we have been uh, talking about the uh, four Ps, the five Gs, and the three Ws of harvest. Uh, September, uh, we talked about the four pillars, who we are, who we are as a church, and pillars hold things up. And this is what essentially are the things that hold us up. And when we talk about that, it's this. We proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. We lift the high the name of Jesus in worship. We believe firmly in the power of prayer. And we share the good news of Jesus with boldness. That's what we talk about when we talk about the four pillars of who we are as a church. And then in October, we talked about the five G's, what what we're seeking to do as a church. We, we want to raise what we've kind of called 5G disciples for this generation and coming generations prior to Christ's return that we would be uh, disciples of Christ that are increasingly accelerating towards the finish line of glorifying Christ. That's what life is about. It's about glorifying Christ. This is not my gig. This is my gig for God's glory, in essence. That's what we're looking at. Uh, glorifying and, and growing is one of the ways that we bring great glory to the Lord. We're to be growing in Christ. And three key areas we've talked about is we want to be generous. Wow, God's people have been good with that. We want to be gracious and we want to be grateful. Those are the types of things that we want to see traits increasingly. So we talked about in October and this month we're talking about the three W's of harvest, worship, walk, and work. Uh, these are really the nuts and bolts of who we are as a church. Um, you know, the others are kind of conceptual. These are nuts and bolts. And, and let me put it to you this way, uh, the three W's. At harvest, worship for Christ. W- what do we want to have happen? We want to have disciples of Christ that are regularly attending a weekend worship service together. They see it as important. They value it a priority, and I'm all in on that. But we want to see disciples of Christ who are engaged in a small group, walk with Christ. That's where iron sharpening iron happens. That's where discipleship takes place as we work together. And honestly, in many ways, it's almost less about the curriculum and more about the together. It's about doing that together in a process of growing. We've never been designed to grow alone. And then work, work for Christ. We want to be disciples that are serving the Lord. It is such a joy and such an opportunity. And we'll be talking about that here in a couple of weeks. Where, uh, as I put it, uh, we want people serving first where their faith family needs them and then where their passions reside. Uh, worship, walk, and work. That's kind of how we lay that together. And I'll put it this way. These three Sundays are going to be a bit different. Uh, these are going to be very pragmatic. Um, not that we don't seek to be practical any other time, but it's almost going to be more of a Bible-driven family chat time. Um, in fact, let me just kind of start explaining why by starting into our first W, worship. Worship Christ. Um, you may be thinking, worship. Boy, Doug, we've like talked about that in September when Josh was here and we were in the four pillars. We lift high the name of Jesus in worship. Uh, Josh came up uh, from Bloomington and he spoke on that. We talked about worship there. And then in October, we talked about worship essentially because we talked about a, a 5G disciple starts with being someone who's glorifying the Lord, wants to increasingly be about glorifying the Lord. Glorifying the Lord is worship of the Lord, right? And so are we on this again? Um, let me kind of answer it this way. Yes and no. Uh, yes in that everything we do is about glorifying the Lord. Everything we do is worship unto the Lord. Worship doesn't just happen here. By the way, we did not just finish worship, okay, in the singing. We're continuing worship. 
And then when we walk out of here, worship. We go to lunch, worship. All of life is about worship. So yes, I hope every Sunday we walk away and go, that was a Sunday about glorifying the Lord, about worshiping the Lord. So yes, from that standpoint, but I'll say it this way. No, because it's not the same discussion that we had in September or October. In fact, today is about the big word, ecclesiology. Does that not just crank you up? We're going to talk ecclesiology. It's sweet. And some are going, I don't even know what it is. (laughs) But it's a cool sounding word. It's really the the study of the church. Way to go, Drew, man. Right on, right on, baby. Um, In fact, uh, look at the back of your update where the sermon notes are there. Um, And the title of the sermon is A High View of the Local Church. Uh, This is not going to be about worship, like let's praise and worship kind of stuff, or even, uh, if you will, how we do that day in and day out. Uh, This is really a time to practically sit down and talk about why we as a church have a high view of the local church, and we do. If we want people to be coming and right now we have Sunday mornings, coming Sunday morning to a worship service and viewing that as a priority in their life and their family and doing it with a joy. And, and by the way, just the fact that you're here does not mean that you have this as a big value. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a priority to you. I'm talking about the thing where people have this idea where it's like, I'm in on that. I understand we have vacations. I get all that. I'm, I don't want to be legalistic about it, but you understand or see it as a priority kind of a thing. I think there's a valid question to be asked from that. And it's one word. Why? Why do you think that's important? Um, That's what we're going to talk about today, okay? Because I want for you to understand why we really think this is a big deal. Why we think this is the furnace for the rest of the week to fire you out. I mean, not fire at you, fire you out and crank you up and energize you for equip you with God's word. Let me begin with a statement. We live in a period of time in a place in the course of history where for the general person, the local church is pretty low on their value meter. The local church is pretty low on their value meter. Uh, The local church is seen as outdated. It's seen as irrelevant. It's seen as boring. Not here. It's seen as lacking real value. Um, Then you, in small groups, are going through the Vertical Church book, chapter four. It talked about how less than 20% of Americans attend church regularly. And it also talked about how every year, one and a quarter million people basically go, I'm out. This is a waste. You do what you value. And you don't do what you don't value. What TV show do you value? I'll bet you're there on time. I'll bet you arrange your life. I do. On some things like that. It's a reality. We we, we do what we value. And if something is a priority, we'll do it because we value it. So I just want to, as we go through this, I just want to kind of under the conversation have you ask yourself whether you've been to church all your life or like not at all, or whether you've been here every Sunday since we started or not. I want for you to be asking the question of this. How do I value the local church? How high of a value is it really in my life 
and in my thinking. Well, we live what I'll call, we live in a low view world. We live in a low view world. And, um, and especially as it relates to the local church. And I understand why there's a low view of the local church. I totally get it. I've wrestled through sometimes, like, should I bag it? And let me tell you why. Seven reasons. Here we go. Let me give you some. The hypocrite church. The hypocrite church. You know what I'm talking about. The hypocrite church that embraces religiosity, where they, uh, as Romans 1 talks about it, how they embrace uh, a form of God. They, they worship a form of God, but really not God. Think about that. They think that they're worshiping the Lord, but really it's a form. It's not the Lord. It's the type of thing where it's all lip service and no life service. I just want to say, I hate that. And I hate that because Christ hates that. Uh, go to the Gospels and you take a look. Uh, turning over tables. He was not happy with what was going on. The hypocrite church gives a bad view of the local church. And I understand that. Secondly, the mad about it church. You know, it's kind of the attitude where they have it all right. Everyone else has it wrong. Everything is a pen issue. And if you think differently, sing differently, read a different translation, if you don't do adult Sunday school class and then church and then Sunday night and then Wednesday, you're a poor sap who just doesn't get it. Um, and they love to tell you that. Then there's the legalistic church, the list-living church. Code of conduct church. You know, it's the fact that I am standing here as a pastor wearing jeans is like over the top irreverent. I'm also just going to say, I've always been a jeans guy. Even back in my days and owning a business, I always wore jeans. Not in my notes, just letting you know. I love jeans. Amen. <laughs> but in the legalistic church, part of the problem is that... Uh, your family can be a wreck. Your own life can be a wreck. But if you look the part, you're okay. That's a tragedy. A fourth is the chew them up church. It's kind of uh, the number of churches where they have a history of just devouring pastors. They devour people. Or people go through a time where they experience maybe wrong choices, sinful choices in their life. And instead of a church coming along to try and help them or love them enough even to confront them in it and, and coming in on it, what they do is they just kind of take them out in front of everybody and just shoot them. Um, or the pastors, who they just have a history of pastors being there and just carnage is all over the place. In the Vertical Church Book, chapter 4, again, there was a stat that one in 10 pastors do not retire from ministry. I would not have believed that before. But now that I've been behind the ministry curtain, I believe it. I would, in fact, I would call it, there is a Saving Private Ryan beachhead with pastors and pastors' families carnaged all over the beachfront. And one in 10 make it all the way through. It's a sad thing. Sometimes it's poor choices on their part, but other times it's because churches just love chewing them up. Fifth, I'd call it the arrogant church. I'm really talking about leadership arrogance. It's the ministry envy, church politics, the numbers. It's the they all come to hear me. Oh God, may I never get there. 
arrogant church. Six, the dead church. Have you ever been a church where you walk in and it's like God has left the building? And uh, part of what's even worse case and sometimes is it's like God has left the building and nobody knows it. And what the reason for that is it's been, it's been so, in terminology, it's been so horizontal for so long that when the vertical, when God leaves, they don't even know because it's so horizontal. Oh, it's sad. And it gives a low view of the local church. Then seven, there's the me church. Christian consumerism. Churches that think uh, we're, we're battling for consumers to come rather than the realities. We're battling the, the gates of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Christian thinking is, is so how's this church? How are you going to stroke me, serve me, connect me, and, and get me hooked up with my Christian hobby interest buddy so I can have fun? It's kind of like this video. Watch. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Yeah. Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. Boy, I watched that, especially the guy like with his wife with the baby. That was just classic. But I watched that, and it's like I laugh and I cry because it's true. It is true. I, I want to start out this time. I'm taking a long introduction here. I understand that. But, but I want to get on the table. I understand that there is a low view of the local church, and I understand why. Today's not about, like, dummies out in the world. You don't understand. Today is about, I get it. But wait a second here. We're, we're, we're thinking wrongly. In fact, you realize by uh, actually some Christian organizations, you can go online, don't. <laughs> you can go online and you can uh, get T-shirts and bumper stickers that say, uh, addicted to Jesus, allergic to church. Uh, God isn't dead, the church is. Or this kind of sums it up. Jesus, yes, church, no. We live in a very low view of the local church world. So when... W number one is we view it very important that we want people coming on a regular basis to their church faith family. There's a viable question to be asked, why? And let me bring my past business terms in if I can here just for a moment. It's not design error and it's not designer error. Uh, having, in my past, having developed medical devices, there were times where it was the designer's <laughs> error 
I missed something. And out in the field, when we were doing test studies, we found out that I missed that. And it was designer error. There are other times where in the design of it, we had it out there in the field in, in a blood center and it was out there and they were using it. And it was like, oh, that's a design error. The local church is not a design or a designer error. It's a user error. It's a user error. And there are times, no, the product is designed correctly. Oh, that's the right thing. You're not using it correctly. It's a user error issue. And what's happening is individuals are understandably so seeing the user error that's going on. And by the way, can I all say, we're all sinners? Saved by grace, why are we surprised when there's problems in the local church? We're sinners. Okay, this is not a, a haven for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. And in it, what's happening is they see the user error and they respond by saying, the product is flawed. I'm out of that. And I just want for you to know, that's wrong thinking. I understand the thinking. Please, genuinely, I do. But it's wrong thinking. So let me bring in a billboard statement here, if you will. At Harvest, we have a high view of the local church in a low view world. We are the kind of place that says, listen, we believe highly in this and the local church. The rest of the world, they can, others could have their thoughts on it, but I'm telling you, we stand up and we banner the local church. Why? Three reasons. Here we go. Number one, because we know who designed it. Because we know who designed it. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. The context here is so cool. The context is Jesus is with the 12 disciples. He's out there. Uh, he's talking with them, and he brings out just this banner question. Hey, guys, who do people say that I am? Jesus always asks questions. He loves questions draw people. Parents, ask your kids questions. It draws them out. He, he asks them a question of who do people say that I am? And they're saying, well, some say this, some say this. And then he, this is where he's going, who do you say that I am? I'm telling you, that's the eternal question, friends. Who do you say that I am? Drum roll in the background. All the angels in heaven are looking in. What are they going to say? What are they going to say? And then Peter steps up to the plate and kawamo knocks it out of the park. And he says, you are the Christ. And that statement contains so much of the Old Testament. Oh, my word, there's so much meaning in that statement. And it's like all heaven is going, ah, yeah, yeah, you got it, home run, baby. And Jesus responds, look, verse 17. And Jesus answered, I'm sure his heart just had to be thrilled. Look at it. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter's like, really? That came out of me? From heaven? Yeah, absolutely. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, someday we'll talk about that. Um, I'll be interested to think what you think after I say what I think. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Friends, this is a huge statement. Let's, Let's do a Sunday school class just for a minute. Whose church is it? Yeah, specifically, Jesus's. Okay, next question. Who builds it? Good, glass. That's spot on right. Wait a second. 
Jesus, yes. Church, no. Are we seeing a problem here? But we have a high view of the local church. Now let me put it this way. We do not have a high view of the local church because we look around and we go, like the local church everywhere is like awesome. In fact, everywhere you go, it's like spot on, kicking it out, loving the Lord, God is glorified, total vertical. That's not the case. There are a lot of really good churches, but there are also a lot of really bad churches. What we do is we go, we're, view, we're high on the local church. Why? Because we know who designed it. That's why. Not because of user error, but look at who designed it. Look who's the designer of it. That's why we have a high view of it. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. That's a big deal. Secondly, we know who's the head of it. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. A little to the right in your Bible in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, the context, uh, verses 20, uh, 19 to 21, Paul is highlighting the rule and authority and power and dominion and superiority of Christ. And we get to verse 22, Ephesians chapter 1. And it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Uh, let's look up at the screen for a second. Who's the head? Okay, just for our church family who knows here, that's not J.C. Anderson. Okay, just want to make sure J.C., anyway. That's Jesus Christ is the head, okay? Now, as you look, if you will, picturing this, the rest of the body is the universal church. Hey, when you come to that place where you realize, as the Bible talks, you realize that you're a sinner separated from God, and that you're in need of a savior. And the Bible tells us that the second person of the Trinity, God himself came down in the flesh, lived, died, so that we could be able to have the opportunity to be redeemed. He did for me what I could not do for myself. And he's offering for me forgiveness and redemption and joining back with him. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, when you come to the place where they talk about how you drive, drive the stake in the ground with Christ and receive him as your savior, by the way, not just for the golden ticket, but for the whole life, the redemption fullness of it. You're part of the universal church. Bam, you are part of something that Jesus Christ is the head of. It's like, that is awesome. You are in, you are on the team, on the field. Now, part of the reality of that as well is in the universal church, there's a thing called the local church. And so let's bring the, the next one on. It kind of looks like a Christmas tree lit up. But within the universal is the local church reality. And this is why, as we're going to talk here in, some, in a bit, there's this talk, well, I'm all about the universal church, but I'm not about the local church. I'm just going to say, I get it. I understand it. But eh, I'm just not there. Not there. The universal churches comprised of the local churches all over the world. How cool is that? And God loves that. He's, by the way, the head of it. He's the head of it. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 5, just a page over. Uh, Ephesians 1 through 3 talks about theology, the theology of Christ. 
or I'm sorry, the, the theology as a follower of Christ, key theology issues. We get into chapter four through six. It gets into practical applications, ramifications out of that on life. Chapter four is about how I are to be growing and changing. In light of this theology, this is what my life is supposed to start looking like. And then we get in chapter five into the various relationships that come. And now we're right in the area where it talks about marriage. By the way, married couples, if you don't understand Christ in the church and how that functions, you don't understand marriage absolutely foundational so in here we're reading about husbands and wives but i'm going to be pulling out the part that tells us the theology related to christ look at verse 23 middle of 23 as christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior then look over at verse 25 christ loved the church He loved it and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without without blemish. Hey, what does Jesus Christ think about the church? Answer. He would say, it's mine. That's mine. It's mine. I'm the head of it. I love it. I died for it. I set it apart. And I'm presenting it in splendor. Jesus, yes. Church, no. Again, do we see the conflict? I just say, wait a second. I understand user error. But to bag the design is to bag the designer. And we don't do that. If Jesus wants to come along and say, I'm bagging that, he can. Because it's his. But, but think about this. It's kind of like we, we in this, what ends up happening is we in this, in this and we go, what do you think of the church? Well, you know, well, it's kind of ugly. Don't really like it. I think it's kind of worthless. And then Jesus is standing over here like, what? You want to say that to me? Because guess what? I'm the head of it. I died for it. I love it. And you're talking about my bride. Scarred up, kind of scraggly. Maybe not so pretty looking on the outside, walking down the aisle. But guess what? That's mine. And then we go, who are the saps that have a high view of that? Friends, Jesus loves his church. And so must you and I. But Doug, I've seen incredible failure in the church. Have two. Have as well. But can I remind us? Jesus sees all the failure. And he still loves it. And it's still his bride. But the church has hurt me. <laughs> I know some of that as well. But may I remind us that the head knows all about the hurt. And in fact, Jesus knows more hurt than you and I could ever sum up together in the whole of it all. Talking about anybody being hurt, how about the one that died for it? 
being hurt by what's going on. But I, I just want to do the Christian thing on my own. Really? You want to step outside of what the second person of the Trinity has put together? I'm sorry, but I don't understand that. I understand the failures. I understand the hurts. I understand the complexities. But I'm just going to tell you, friends, we as a church and I as a pastor, I am not going to deny who designed it, and I am not going to deny the fact that he is the head of it and that he loves it. And even though we look out and we go, that's bad, that's failing there, I'm telling you, it's still his. It's a big deal. Third, not only do we know who designed it, not only do we know that who's the head of it, but we know what scripture says about it. I'm going to try and move through these quickly here, but um, so don't be discouraged by my next statement, but there's nine things I want to say here. Um, and you don't have enough room in your notes. That was my error. I didn't put enough space uh, there. Tell Chris to put that enough space for what we've got here. So he did it right. I did it wrong. Number one, scripture tells the story that God has always been about a people unto himself. It's very important to understand. If we're taking a look at, at the church, it's, understand, it's important to understand God himself. Uh, God has never been an individual's only thing. Because if so, he would have stopped at Adam and Eve. In fact, we would have stopped with Adam. But actually, with Adam and Eve, what God ended up saying is, fill the earth. I want more. There's a wholeness thing. Noah, and when he wiped all those irritating people off, Noah, it could have been, Noah, just stay like you are, please. But God said, no, fill the earth. God has a big picture view. Abraham, Genesis 12, God says, I will make you into a great person. No, uh, he says, I will make you into a great couple. No, I, I will make you into a great family. Nope. he says, I will make you into a great nation. That's a big statement. That's a, a big umbrella. In, in uh, Egypt, in Exodus 2, God says, God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. It's a wholeness reality going on here. In Exodus 3, God says to Moses, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people. Not just the individuals, but my people. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, God talks about raising up a kingdom of priests. The terminology of his people, my people, continues on. Then God is the one who invented the idea of the tabernacle and the temple. And the whole people assembling. And oftentimes I hear people kind of with this idea that yeah, the local church thing, the gathering together, that's a man invented thing. No! That sounded whiny, didn't it? No. You go all the way back to the tabernacle and God had his people there and he could have had them just all stay scattered because like, I want you coming together. I, I want my glory in, in an altogether reality with the temple come together, gather together. In the epistles, we already saw in Ephesians 1 and 5, this universal church, all those post-Pentecost that have come to Christ by faith through grace and uh, by grace through faith and become a part of the universal body. I'll even bring up Revelation 19, the marriage of the lamb and his bride. It's not and brides. It's a whole. It's a unit. God sees the individual and he sees the whole of it all. Secondly, Scripture tells the story of God's universal people living in vibrant, structured, local faith family communities. 
There's the wholeness of it all, but there's also this faith family community thing. In the Old Testament Israel, uh, when they were united together, there was a community reality. They don't have the time to go into it. Then even when Israel was scattered and there was no more nation on the face of the earth at the time, and they're scattered all around, they still met together. And they had uh, 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 communities oriented around. In the Gospels, we see the whole local synagogue community structure in place. In Acts chapter 2 and following, we see the New Testament church breaking onto the scene. Paul talks about how it's a mystery that's now revealed. It's going to the Gentiles. In Acts, the church is expanding into localities everywhere. And the epistles uh, 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 give affirmation and instruction about having local churches there. Friends, that's so important to understand. Go bring people to Christ, establish a church. It's not go bring people to Christ and just let them hang out. It's important to understand this holistically. Gene Getz says, when you pick up the Bible and begin to read the New Testament, most of what you read about is the story of the local church and how God intended it to function. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Add to that Charles Colson in his book, The Body. It says, in the New Testament, Christianity is shown as much more than a Jesus and me thing. Much more than a private transaction with Jesus. Friends, in American culture, we idolize our self-independence. So much so that we see coming to Jesus as a Jesus and me transaction that's independent of anything else. Oh, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. He goes on to say the New Testament pattern was individual believers gathering together in particular communities to manifest the church. The point being, Scripture tells the story of people coming to Christ. They come into the universal body, and then they are found doing life with God's people in a local faith family setting. And this idea of believers functioning on their own outside of the local church, I'm just going to tell you, friends, it's not seen in the New Testament. It's not seen. Three, those are the two longer ones. Three, Scripture tells the story that the local church is God's greenhouse for growth of the believer. Philippians chapter 1, when we studied through Philippians, that whole idea of verse 27 and following in, in the Roman military standing side by side, arm, arm in arm, one spirit, one mind, standing firm. It's together. Ephesians 5.25, growing and changing, is to be done in the context of together. We're members of one another. 1 Timothy 5, Titus 2, talks about how the older men are to be inputting into the younger men and the older women into the younger women. You can't do that on your own. Number four, the scripture tells the story that the local churches where baptism, communion, and believer restoration or church discipline takes place. The sacraments, baptism, and communion, it's, you see this happening in the local church and, and, and then uh, uh, believer restoration, this idea. I'm just going to tell you this straight out. If I get to a place to where I'm starting to teach heresy or live heresy, come and talk to me. Ask what's going on. Matthew 18, Doug, I'm concerned with what's happening here. I love you, your brother in Christ. What's going on here? And if I'm like, forget you, dude. I just want to do whatever I want. Go get some of the elders. Come after me. Love me enough to do that. Doug, you're off course. And if I'm like, you, you have to ask the question, where's the believer in me? 
And it goes in, it talks about how you bring it before the church. I don't think that necessarily has to be public, especially we got two services and all this kind of stuff going on. But there are ways you bring, I'm telling you folks, the sacraments and, and, and these kinds of things, there's a local church reality wrapped all around it. Number five, scripture tells a story that the local churches where spiritual gifts are lived out. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, just for a minute. 1 Corinthians 12. Sometime we'll talk on spiritual gifts. Um, I'm, I'm concerned so much about how in America we do this. Here's how the general plan is. Hey, God has gifted you. True. If you've, as a believer, God has gifted you specially, and you need to know what that is, and you need to know what that is, so then you can serve where your gift is. I'm just going to tell you, I don't see that in Scripture. That's fine if you do. I'm not like anti that, but I'm like, wait a second. Here's the point. God says, know this. When you come together... He has gifted his people uniquely. And just know this as you come together. There's unique gifts. They'll show up. You're an awesome team when you are together. I think that's the big point out of it. And here, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. A variety of activities, but in the same time, who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit, a gift of the spirit for the common good. Scripture points to spiritual gifts being used within the community of believers. And if you're not engaged in that reality, you're not coming in and bringing what God has gifted you to do, to be a part of holistically being an awesome team. Six, God tells a story, scripture tells a story that the local church is where one's giving is centered. I'm not saying that's the only place. Frankly, Karen and I do support some people outside of here on our own. But you see this common thing in the Old Testament and the New Testament that that's kind of the main central point together. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8. I'm just going to go on. Number seven, scripture tells the story that the local church is where leadership is put in place to shepherds God's people. When it talks about pastors and elders and deacons, that's not over the universal church. I'm not a pastor of people in Canada. I'm a shepherd of people here. And those are things for the local church. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 3, 1 Peter 5 talks about elders know their flock and shepherd it. Daniel Kirk says, a lack of formal commitment makes the believer's relationship to their spiritual leaders ambiguously defined. I understand at times people go, why do I need to be a member? I'll tell you one of the reasons. So we know that you're in. So that we know that you're here and that you're in. Those are two words put together in that. We know that. But Doug, I come every week. Understand that. But as a shepherd, how do I know where you're really at? It's just one of the realities of it. That's why Hebrews 13, 17 says, in this thing, you're placing yourself under a leadership. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as one who give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that will be of no advantage to you. Coming into a church and being a part of that is placing yourself under, under other believers and leadership the way God's put it out. Number eight, scripture tells a story that the local church is where the great commission is lived out. I'm not gonna go there because of time, but Ephesians chapter three talks about this. Uh, verses seven through 12, the power is directed as being in the church. It's where God is manifested out of. Number nine and last. Scripture tells the story that the local church is where believers associated themselves publicly. 
I think when you look in the New Testament, one of the things at times you see coming out is it's like people knew who they were because they were associated with those people. And along with that is scripture in the church, it's likened to a family household. It's likened to a flock. It's likened to a kingdom. And it's likened to an army. And none of these are loosely connected. Listen, you know who's in your household. You know who is in your flock. You know who is in a kingdom. And you know who's in the army. I just want to be in the army kind of for this week because they're doing something cool. What? You're out of there like that fast and that. You know who's there. It's closely knit. Romans 12.10, they were devoted to one another. I've thrown a ton at you. I hope it's not shrapnel. I hope it's helpful. We live in a low view of the local church world. And I want to let you know that we as a church, we have a very high view of the local church. I don't care what's said. We know who designed it. We know who's the head of it. And we know what scripture says about it. And I bank on that, even though there's tons of user error going on. And, and I am, I don't want to be the mad about a church, but just for a second, I am mad about the thing of the local church being bagged so much verbally. I understand it, but I'm telling you, I'm here to stand up and we're here to stand up because it's Christ's thing. He's the head of it. It's his body. And even when there's user error, he loves it. He loves it. And maybe this is all new thinking for you. I want for you to take this and wrestle through it and think through it. Because I've gone through... Sometimes in my life where I've wondered if it's worth it. Not here. There have been some hard days. And in the past, seeing the hurt, it's so discouraging. But it's his. And he loves it. And I have to come back to that. And by the way, do you realize this church got started out of some people who were really hurt and saw the failures in ministry and were like, ouch. But could it be different? Hey, friends, we want that to happen here. Not a perfect church. I'm going to disappoint you. We're going to disappoint one another, okay? That's just the fact of it. But listen, this is Christ's church, his thing, and we need to be all about his thing. Okay, And we want to work at it, grow at it, challenge each other, help each other, love each other in it. But most of all, we want to hold his name high and this name high because it's his deal and it's not mine. Let's pray. I actually just kind of want to ask you to bow your heads for a bit here. We are a local, autonomous, self-governed, local church that loves partnering with Harvest so that we can do more than together than we can do alone. I love this place. 
We at Harvest love the local church. That's why we're all about planting local churches. I look forward to the day when we are going to begin the process of start a process of planting local churches because we love it, because we're high on it, and because Christ is. And yet in all of that, I also realize there's different situations that can be going on. And I just ask you, where do you rate the church on your value meter? What does Saturday night look like? What does Sunday morning look like? I would just ask if you've been dating the church. There's times where you need to. You need to go on some dates. Find out if that's the one. But the purpose of dating is to lead to marriage. And in the church, there is this reality. I'll just say, if you've been dating and dating and dating and dating around, whether it's this church or some other church, I want to encourage you, I'll just speak it boldly. It's time to man up. It's time to man up and get serious about your relationship with Christ and the local church. Maybe you need to change how you think about it. Maybe membership is a step for you. Hey, listen, I need to publicly say I'm in. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's small groups. But if you've been dating the local church, I want to encourage you, it's time to man up. If you've been hurt by the local church, I say this lovingly, it's time to heal up. When you've been maimed, takes time to heal and I get that Jesus knows the hurt and the disappointment and by the way the reality is is we are in a spiritual battle and people who come back from the battlefield have scars but sometimes what ends up happening is we don't heal the wound we just leave it allow it to stay open and get infested And so we actually, we can't go back to battle. And I just want to say, if you've been hurt, it's time to heal up. And if we can help in any way, we'd love to help. Lastly, if you've been scared about the local church, it's time to look up. and hanging around with a bunch of people, boy, that's, that makes me vulnerable. I get it. You have no idea how I struggle through fears. But it's not about the horizontal. You need to see God in it. That's what we cling to. This is Christ's church. He loves it. He died for it. He's the head of it, and he hasn't bagged it. His bride is scarred. His bride is wounded, but he still loves it. And I would call you to do the same. Lord God, thank you for your love for us in spite of who we are.